0: the table to remember his holiness, his worthiness, and the sacrifice that Christ put upon himself for us, how his death and resurrection defeated Satan, sin, and death on our behalf. Here at Indiana Alliance Church, we do invite our children to remain with us so that if they are believers in Christ, they can partake with the family of God. And if they have not yet received Christ, it has an opportunity for parents to share the truth of the gospel of why we come to the Lord's table together. It's a beautiful time where we look at what Christ did in the upper room with his disciples. After washing their feet and teaching them about the truth of who he is, the truth of his death, the truth of the coming of the Holy Spirit and the reality of our ability to be cleansed of all of our sins. He then had a meal with his disciples. And in the early church, I think we tend to forget that this was a celebratory party that the church would partake in. They would remember the wondrous beauty of the cross, the fantastic power of the resurrection, and they would celebrate with a meal together. When Christ was at table with his disciples, He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat and partake with me. He was sharing with them prophetically what was going to happen to his body as he would be beaten and lashed to almost death. His body truly was broken for you and for me. When you receive the bread, I want you to take time to reflect upon what Christ has done for you. Reflect upon the beauty of the cross and the broken body of Christ and give thanks to him. Get right with him in the the repentance of your heart, asking the Lord to show you any areas that you need to repent of and turn away from. And so as you partake, before we partake together, reflect on the goodness of Christ. Offer thanksgiving and repentance to our Lord. As we remember Christ's broken body for us, let us partake together. In the same manner, Christ took the cup. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. We see now in retrospect what the disciples weren't able to see. That Christ's blood would cover over all of our sins. That when we repent and turn to him, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us. And that is the beautiful reality of the cross. I said it was a celebration in the early church, and that's true because Jesus told them, do this in remembrance of me until I return. They would celebrate that Jesus promised that he would return, that he would make all things new that we would see a new heaven and a new earth. He promised he would come, and that is why we celebrate. And so I want you, as we receive the cup, to rejoice in the coming return of our King. Let us rejoice at the return of the king and raise your cup and say to the return of the king, to the return of the king. Amen and amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Well, at this time, children, you are now dismissed. And if you are near someone, say hello. Welcome them here to Indiana Alliance Church. It is always an honor and a pleasure to worship alongside each and every one of you. Here in person or online, we just thank you for being here with us. If you're new, you'll uh, notice very quickly I'm a very energetic person. I love preaching the Word of God. And my passion is that as we open up the Word of God, that we too receive the passion of the Holy Spirit For that which he has called us to. And that is why every October we set aside the month to focus on Christ's mission. Which in fact is our mission as well. Let us turn our hearts to prayer and then we will open up the word of God together. Heavenly Father we are so blessed to be your children. We thank you that you have saved us and brought us into your kingdom. Those of us who have repented and confessed of our sins, we know that you have saved us, and we thank you for that. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us this morning, that as we open up the Word of God, it will not just be for information, but for transformation, for the Word of God is active, living, and breathing, and we ask for you to speak to our hearts in your name, amen. Amen. There is a a book called Of Mice and Men that was written by John Steinbeck, and many people know John Steinbeck for that work. But he also wrote tons of small stories that are compiled in a couple of books. One One of the stories that has always kind of resonated with me was a story called The Valley of the Blind. And in this story, it's probably about 20, 25 pages. I'll summarize it. I won't say the whole thing for you because that'd be a long time. But in this story, there is this man who stumbles into this valley. There was huge mountains all around this valley, and he finds himself somehow in this valley. And he's walking around, and he's wondering where all the people are. And he begins to meet people along the way, and, and the people are a little bit different because they don't have any eyes in their so- the eye sockets. It's very confusing to this man. None of them have sight, not a single one. And he begins to ask this group of people how long they have been in this valley. They had been in this valley for eight to nine generations, and they have no concept of sight. Because they have always been blind, they've always uh, not had eyes in their eye socket. It was, must have been genetic. It was, it's obviously a parable that he is bringing to us. But he began to have conversations with them about sight. And they, they came up to him and they felt his face and they felt the eyeballs in his eye socket and thought that he was some kind of alien, a foreign person, uh, a foreign being. And they tried to put him in jail. They put him on trial. And while he's on trial in front of these, the Valley of the Blind's leadership, he begins to describe what sight is. He begins to explain to them how the eye gives the proper ability to see depth, to see color, and he begins to express to them the, the beauty of sight. They finally don't throw him in jail, but enjoyed his story of sight, that they could now understand something that they never understood before. And I think the reason why that resonates with me is because it is a good parable for us who believe in Jesus Christ and the world that is blind. You see, we are the man who has sight. Because we have Jesus Christ and we know who Jesus is and we believe the truth of the gospel, the world who does not know Jesus can know Jesus by us describing Jesus. Now, in our current culture, the idea of Jesus has begun to be so distant from understanding. We are, uh, I would consider us, almost a pre-Christian culture now. If you look at uh, Europe, this is kind of where they are. They, they have some concept of Jesus from art, and they see pictures, and they see certain things. But if you were to ask them, who is Jesus, when did Jesus live, rarely would they be able to tell you anything beyond Christmas. And I think that we are finding ourselves in a culture that has the same blindness and will continue to have the degradation of sight of who Jesus is as we continue on. Which means that it's all the more important for you and I to be the man with sight, to bring the truth of the gospel to the valley of the blind. We, through the Holy Spirit of God, have the capability to go on mission, to be missionaries in our current culture, and in the global view of the world. Charles Spurgeon said something that really, really, really stings. If you know anything about Charles Spurgeon, he was a pastor in England in the 1800s, and whenever he would preach, he had all of these zingers. Now, he would preach for an hour and a half and two hours. Just be thankful I don't model my preaching after him, okay? (laughs) But he would throw out these zingers, and they were one-liners that just would crush your soul because they were true and impactful. He said this once as he was preaching to his church, every Christian is a missionary or an impostor. Ooh. That one hurts. Because we are all called on mission. Our lives and our words should reflect the truth of the gospel, no matter where we go, no matter where we find ourselves, because every Christian has a kingdom call to bear witness. Every Christian has a kingdom call To bear witness, we as believers who know the truth of the gospel are to be the man with sight to the valley of the blind. An an Irish saying uh, by some Irish priests was this, that we are all beggars in this world. But those of us who have found Christ know the bread and know where the bread is. And as Christians, fellow beggars along this life that we live live, It is our responsibility to go to those other beggars and show them where to find the bread. Because we all have a kingdom call as believers to be on mission for witnessing to the truth of the gospel. So if this is true, the question I think that the passages that we will read this morning answer this question. How can we be effective witnesses in this world? I hope many of us ask that question often. How can I be an effective witness to the gospel in this world? So we're going to be reading a couple different passages, three different passages from three different books of the Bible. I like to call this biblical calisthenics as we're moving back and forth from different portions of Scripture. But I do have them in chronological order, which is helpful. So we're going to be reading Matthew 28, 17-20, John 1, 29-34, in Acts 1.8, this is the word of the Lord. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The next day, this is John 1, 29 through 34. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel." Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The common theme of bearing witness, the common theme of understanding our Christian call is ringing through these passages. And so we will kind of dissect them very quickly as we look at how we can be effective witnesses in this world. And the very first thing I think that we can see from the passages of Matthew and John is that we are to take notice of Jesus and help others notice him too. Take notice of Jesus and help others notice him too. Jesus says to the disciples, All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. He's sharing with the disciples that all of heaven's authority was given to Jesus. And now he is passing the mantle of authority to believers to go and make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom call for every believer that we are to go and make disciples that we are to baptize them, that we are to encourage them to do the same as we multiply the beauty of the church and those who come to faith in Jesus. He is making them notice, this is about me. It's not about you, but you are to go and help others notice me as well. In the passage with John the Baptist in the book of John, we see John with his disciples He's spending time with them, and Jesus walks by them. And as he's walking by them, despite what was happening with him and his disciples, John the Baptist notices Jesus, and he purposely pauses whatever he's doing. And he says to his disciples and anyone who would be in earshot, Behold the Lamb of God who takes the sins, who takes our sins away. He notices Jesus. He takes time to pause and see what Jesus is and who Jesus is and Jesus' purpose for them. And he begins to step back in humility as he begins to raise up Jesus as the one who is the king, who will take away the sins of the world. I think often in our lives we miss those Jesus moments. Jesus is consistently working, Jesus is consistently doing great things among us, but we often fail to notice him. Something great and fantastic could happen in your life where you say, wow, that was really great, I did such a good job to get that done. I think maybe it was a Jesus moment where you could take notice of Jesus and say, Jesus did that. When people come and ask you, how in the world did something so miraculous happen in your life? You can take notice of Jesus and help others notice him too. By the simple statement of, I don't believe that any human institution or any human had anything to do with that moment. I believe that was Jesus. And they might look at you like, what? Jesus did that? Like, yeah, Jesus is alive and cares about my life and he cares about your life. Wow, what a, that, that seems simple. That seems like an easy segue. But how often do we miss those moments because we're not noticing Jesus? John the Baptist was very busy, <laughs> constantly baptizing people, constantly going into the, sti- the cities around him, proclaiming that it's time to repent. It's time to repent and realize that the King is coming. That something is different. We are in this moment that is pregnant with God's work. And when Jesus passes by, he stops and he says, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. How often do we miss those moments where Jesus is passing by? I encourage you in your life to slow down a little bit and notice Jesus. Notice Jesus and what He has done for you. In those moments that seem miraculous, that seem incredible, take notice that Jesus probably was in that. And then help others notice Him too. This is a great way to take the authority of Christ as believers and go and make disciples. As we walk among people who do not know Jesus, Miraculous things will happen to them and to us. It is our job to then notice Jesus and help others notice him too. I want to encourage you to be diligent in seeing Christ and be persistent in showing Christ. I think that as we see Jesus' words and John's actions, we can see the diligence that he had in seeing Christ and his persistence in showing and sharing Christ. As he described, the the issue of why I believe that this is the one, because I saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him. I saw it the way that the Lord told me it would happen. He didn't notice who Jesus was before the Spirit came, but once he did, he bore witness. I think the, the second way that we can be effective witnesses in this world is to allow our theology to inform our Christian global witness. Allow theology, our theology, to inform our Christian global witness. What do I mean by that? Well, I think what we believe about sin, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the Father, the triune God, and the reality of the cross and resurrection, those truths should inform our Christian global witness. I think too often we don't talk about sin enough in our world. Now, we have to find a way, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, to have a methodology to explain sin to the world that does not understand sin. But that does not mean that we avoid conversations about sin. And if we truly have a grasp on the theological reality of sin and Christ's death and resurrection... It will inform our desire to be on mission. Because if our theology of heaven and hell is the way that it begins in Scripture and is described in Scripture, we will want people to desire Jesus, to know Jesus, to come to saving faith in Jesus. Our theology should inform our global Christian witness. Are we living into our theological values, or do we just talk about them? Do we really believe the pain of sin without salvation? Do we really believe about heaven and hell? Because if we own those, rather than just think about them, we will want to let people know about Jesus in a very deep and real way. John the Baptist, as he points out Jesus, points out theology. What? Yeah, he points out a theological reality where he says, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of all the world. He describes the truth of the Levitical law where the lamb is slain and his his neck is slit and the blood goes upon the, the mercy seat, which in that time would happen once a year. And they would have the blood of the Lamb cover over the sins of Israel as the priest would pray and ask the Lord to do so. There was also a goat that the priest would lay his hands upon and say, May the sins of Israel run away with this goat. This is where we get the idea of scapegoat, right? Someone who takes the blame. (laughs) This was a theological truth in Leviticus that John the Baptist is saying, Jesus is the Lamb. He's the final answer. He has been the picture that we have been waiting for. Every theological value that we hold so strongly to is found in Jesus. We come every week, every month to the table to remember the table of grace, the mercy of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we own the truth of our own salvation and the covering of our own sin. But there are those that are around us who need the message. There are those across the ocean who need the message and the truth of Christ's death. He also points out the passage in Isaiah 53 where it says that this this coming one will be the suffering servant. The way he's talking about who Jesus is is giving a prophetic answer to the longings and the questions that have been coming for centuries. The Messiah is here. He is the one who will take away our sins. And understanding the fullness of sin and Jesus assists in us sharing the gospel. When we share the gospel of Christ, we can't put all flowers and rainbows and unicorns upon it. We must speak the truth of what sinned does of what sin creates in our own lives and we can use our own testimony one of the most powerful truths of witness is your story as you share what Christ has done for you as you explain the miracle of your salvation and the miracle of your transformation where you say this is where I was but here is where I am because of the grace of Christ because of what Christ has done maybe you lived a a sinful life among a group of people and your life has changed because of the gospel and they come and they ask you you are a different person what happened to you You go to your high school reunion and they're like whoa you are totally different you've changed you were a mean person now you're all smiles what happened to you Those are open doors. Those are moments where we can share our stories and the truth of what Christ has done for us. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, once said this, the glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians is a more destructive evil in its effects upon the Christian religion than anything else. That's another zinger. We see in the truth of Christ's death and resurrection, the shedding of the blood, two theological values called substitutionary atonement. It's a big word. But it means that Christ is our substitute. The death that Christ lived, or the death that Christ died, we should have died. But for the grace of God, we did not have that death. He took it upon himself. And we see this also talks about another big theological word called propitiation, which means that he took the wrath that was required for us because of our sins upon himself. We see in the, in the Gospels that God turned his face away from Jesus in that moment where he bore all of the sins of man. Man, Jesus did that for you. And Jesus did that for me. So in this quick quip that we see John the Baptist giving, he gives us the reality that this is true. Sin is a big deal. We cannot miss the reality of sin. The seriousness of sin should fuel the urgency of our witness. The world needs to be set free from the bondage of sin, and we are the seer who can help the valley of the blind. The third way that we can be effective witnesses in this world today is that knowing Jesus leads us to make him known. Knowing Jesus leads us to make him known. John the Baptist, he confesses that he did not know who Jesus was to be until the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And he said, he is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. He is the one who is going to come as I step back. Jesus is the answer, and he knew without a shadow of a doubt the truth of who Jesus was in that moment. And so he bears witness, the Scripture says, to the reality and to the truth of who Jesus is. And when we have a proper theology of sin, of Christ's death and resurrection, a proper reality of who, a theology of the Trinity and what God has done, we will want to know Jesus more because we will experience the love and the grace that is so undeserving. And when we come to a place of knowing Jesus more, we will desire to make Him known. This is part of our mission statement at Indiana Alliance Church. That we are to be people who know Christ, who are known by Christ, and who make Him known. That is the passion of our church, the longing that we have. And this is a mission not just locally, but also globally. As we have so many missionaries in our denomination across the globe, we are a sending organization where we send people to the farthest areas of the earth. And we send them with prayer prayer. We send them with commissioning. We send them as we raise our funds to send them there. We give our time, our talent, and our treasure to our missionaries across the globe. That is exciting stuff. People are going to some of the most dangerous areas of the world, and they are not giving a care for their life, but they give a care for the the lives of those who are lost. We've had missionaries, as I had talked about a couple weeks ago, who have died brutal deaths for the gospel. And the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We are ascending mission organization, and it's because we have a desire to know Christ and make Him known. Another thing that we need to remind ourselves is this, that Jesus and His global mission are greater than us and our minor mission. Your goals for your life, although good, are minor compared to the mission of Jesus Christ. Your dreams for your life, although good, are minor compared to the mission of Jesus Christ. As believers, we are to put him and his mission, his agenda, his desires above anything else in our own lives. Man, that does not sound like the American dream. You're stepping on my picket fence and my beautiful house. Maybe. Maybe. But that's what the gospel does. Sometimes the gospel calls us to deep sacrifice. But we live in a world of deep selfishness. I myself confess of that. When I don't want to do something, I find ways to not do it. Right? Because I'm selfish. When I have to take out the trash and it's totally full, I pretend like I don't see it. Anybody else? Yeah, (laughs) George, I saw that. Mary, you got to get on him. (laughs) The reality is, is that we need to live like Christ lived, selfless, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. Jesus and his global mission are much more important than ours. Are we going? Are we sending? Are we praying? Are we supporting our missionaries? Are we praying for them? Being on mission is also helping those on the front lines overseas. We have missionaries that will be coming to us this month. Rick Romano will be here tomorrow. I think that he could be my brother, although he's much older than I am. And you'll notice that as he limps around and has really gray hair. But he is passionate about mission. He's passionate about bringing people to saving knowledge of Jesus. And in a couple of weeks, we will have some retired missionaries from the Congo who will share how they lived in dangerous, wild places to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Are we willing to be slightly uncomfortable here to bring the message of Christ? Are we willing to support, pray for, give our time, talent, and treasure to the mission here, but also to the mission overseas. This is our call. Acts 1-8 then we see that we have an empowerment, a way forward to live the gospel life. It's not in and of our own power. We can have a message like this and say, wow, I'm really doing this wrong. Wow, I need to button my, 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 my bootstraps and tighten them really tight and get out there and do something. But if we miss Acts 1-8, we will only fail Because you and I need the power of the Holy Spirit to be on mission. Which brings me to my fourth and final way that we can be effective witnesses in this world. And that is this, that the Spirit alone empowers our local and global witness. The Spirit alone is the empowerment that we have. If you look at just a little bit before Acts 1-8, You see that Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, tells the disciples, wait, don't go anywhere, don't do anything, pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. Please pause, pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to descend upon you because you can't go out and do it without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. How often do we try to live the gospel life, go on mission in and of our own power, and we get depressed and we get down because it doesn't seem like anything is working. The words that we say don't land with the people's hearts that we're speaking to. Now there is a seed that is being planted in that moment because God's word is not void and dead and it will always bring about some type of conviction. But for us to be on mission in power and in passion, We need the Holy Spirit of the living God. We see that John the Baptist mentions this about Jesus, that he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You and I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, we pointed out when we did a sermon series, the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, we saw that the disciples, in order to be on witness, in order to be on mission, they needed the filling of the Holy Spirit again and again. And again, they needed to surrender their agenda, their desires, their own thoughts about what was clean and unclean. They needed the Holy Spirit. Now, if the apostles needed the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because if they couldn't do it, man, we've got no chance. I mean, it's like the Commanders, the Washington Commanders winning the Super Bowl. No chance. No chance. It's not happening. We don't have a chance without the Holy Spirit. Any believer can give witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say in that moment. The Holy Spirit will give you the courage and the power and the passion in that moment. I believe that too often we rest upon our own strength. We rest upon our own wisdom, and it's time to release our thoughts of our capabilities. We're told constantly through Scripture that we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. If we have a proper alignment of understanding of who we are and who He is and our need for the Spirit of God, we will go out on mission locally. We will give and send and go on, lo- on global mission And so as we open up this series on missions and talk about what God is doing all across the world, please remember that you are also on mission, that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be a missionary where you live, that you can give witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and I thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus. I thank you for the love that you so lavish upon us. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will give us a renewed passion, a renewed passion to know you, a renewed passion to make you known, encourage our hearts, strengthen our hearts, and Holy Spirit of the living God, empower us with your power to bear witness to all the world, all of Jesus for all the world. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.